see her each day I miss her Gee, what a thrill Each time I kiss her Believe me, I've got a case On Nancy With a laughing face This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the art of living. Good morning, everyone. I want to start today's show with a reading of a poem by poet David White. In the Beginning Sometimes simplicity rises like the blossom of fire from the white silk of your own skin. You were there in the beginning. You heard the story. You heard the merciless and tender words telling you where you had to go. Exile is never easy, and the journey itself leaves a bitter taste. But then, when you heard that voice, you had to go. You couldn't sit by the fire. You couldn't live so close to the live flame of that compassion. You had to go out in the world and make it your own, so you could come back with that flame in your voice, saying, Listen, this warmth, this unbearable light, this fearful love, it is all here. It is all here. David White is a man who keeps his heart close to the ground while exploring the human condition within nature. His words and passionate drive for life so closely resembles the heart and soul of my guest today that I thought the poem to be an inspiration for all of us listening and a worthy prelude to her introduction. Executive coach Nancy Friedberg is something special. The special part comes with her tough and tenacious depth in her work, exploring the meaning of life and helping her clients discover their profound talents. And like David White, she keeps her eyes, ears, heart, and soul close to the ground. Like a panther who is overseeing her kingdom, Nancy is profoundly grounded. It is vital for her work as an executive coach and gratifying for her as an individual of integrity and compassion. Nancy never leaves the arena of psychological acuity in her work with her clients, and the working world is stronger for her presence. Her client list is long and dignified, working with a swath of Fortune 500 company leaders and the influencers of tomorrow. She is recognized for her razor-sharp insights and astute diagnostic skills. But the best part is that ultimately, along the way, she seeks joy. Hi, Pamela. Wow. (laughs) That is such a beautiful um, introduction. I was very, very touched by the poem by David White. And, you know, I just want to say, let's go back a little bit more to that opening music. I mean, before we begin, I just want to explain to my listeners that Nancy Friedberg has chosen the music for today. 
And in our intro, we heard the Sinatra song, Nancy with a Smiling Face. So, Nancy Friedberg, why have you chosen this particular song to start this interview? Uh, I'm chuckling already. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple. My One of my mother's favorite stories is that um, when I was an infant at six months, it's not six months, six weeks of age, she said that I had um, this ability to coo every time people would come and see me. And so she was convinced that I was singing um, at six weeks. <laughs> I love that. I guess my mother was pretty biased, but I would coo and I would laugh and smile, and she really got a kick out of it. So I, I think that's um, a really big part of my spirit. That That is a lovely story. And, you know, Sinatra coos his way through that song. And it, it, yeah, I love it. It has particular meaning. <laughs> well, listen, the poem that I started with by David White, which is rather extraordinary, you, you know, it, it, it describes the journeys we're all on, you know? I mean, maybe taking us out of a, a sense of exile, but maybe it's just our, our journey into life. Um, White likens uh, you know, that to finding a sense of eternity. I, I feel that this goes along with your work as an executive coach. Am I right? Yes, most definitely. So tell us about your work, Nancy. Well, you know, in a nutshell, one of the things I'm focusing now on is a concept um, called the power of you. And really one of my gifts is to um, help others excavate their gifts and really put a highlight on them so that they can serve as a, a positive force of good in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, in a nutshell, you know, I've worked with thousands and thousands of clients over the past 30 years so to the tune of over 30,000 hours, you know, sitting there listening to all kinds of stories. And um, this concept was really born from the inspiration of those clients who've worked tirelessly with me, you know, to overcome their professional and personal obstacles. And also we work on defining success on their own terms and living by those core values, whether it's a leader in a corporation, you know, rallying his or her troops um, towards a desired goal, or a business owner or entrepreneur who's disrupting a new business and starting their own, um, to, you know, uh, parents who are rearing their children, uh, a volunteer who's, you know, on the ground during a crisis or you know, with uh, maybe under individuals' medical, you know, challenges and, and also making a positive impact in the world. So, you know, this concept about the power of you is, is far-reaching. Yes, it is. And you do this within the umbrella of your company, Career Leverage. Yes, yes. I serve both private clients and, as you indicated, um, corporate clients, which actually span, you know, 10 different industries, and I've covered um, at this point about, you know, 50 or more different professions. That's, uh, that's amazing, truly amazing. Wow, the power of what you do has to transcend so many lives. I mean, we're going from, you know, Fortune 500 companies to, to C-suite individuals to the common man on the street. Everyone mm-hmm. can use your particular talents. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I was one of the early pioneers in the coaching industry, as we now know, it's, you know, um, enjoyed explosive, explosive growth, which also reflects the fact that, you know, each individual with their own unique talents, you know, as I always, um, you know, focused on, uh, has found a way to coach um, from their own sweet spot and to make their own positive difference in the world, you mm-hmm. know, with their particular audiences or client populations or whoever it is that they're working with. 
So how did you come to this work initially? What, what was the thread that bound you to this work in executive coaching? Um, another great question. Um, so, you know, I really believe that um, many times, whether conscious or not, an individual can find, you know, their calling or their purpose or their own uniqueness um, either through a defining moment in their life or perhaps just a series um, of moments, you know, that have accumulated uh, to get them to where they are, you know, at a particular moment in time. So for me, my oh, my story, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, my story tends to begin with, and I probably should start, you know, moving forward now with the coup with six weeks, but um, the defining moment for me was when my father dropped dead suddenly of a heart attack um, and there was no notice. Uh, I was in the sixth grade and he actually died in the guidance counselor's office in high school with my brother, who I adore and who's alive um, and doing well, um, when he was discussion, discussing his uh, admissions uh, for his college application process. So obviously this was a traumatic event that happened in the blink of an eye and sort of would ever forever change the course of my own, you know, trajectory. Wow. Wow. Did you find you wanted to become a seeker at that point to, to really, you know, they were talking about your brother's um, journey into life. Did you want to move forward then with helping other people in the same way? You know, it's a great question, Pam, and um, it's going to be some of the point, you know, this is going to be the focal point of, of what I discussed today, but I did find as a result of that, you know, trauma, I guess the gifts that were already innately inside of me um, came forth and came to light, you know, as I sort of fiercely worked to, you know, overcome the trauma, the grief, um, to be resilient, to be determined, and, you know, to get up and go to school every day, quite frankly. Wow. So um, at a very young age, I joined support groups, and I was sort of a leader of those groups. Um, I worked with inspiring other kids, and this became like the fuel for me to sort of move forward in my own life. But at the same time, I talk about, um, you know, suffering from the imposter syndrome, because I remember falling asleep in class often. And I do remember struggling with school. I mean, I did manage to graduate, you know, with a good GPA, and I'll tell that story in a minute. But School was not really um, the ripest playground for me. I, I actually found that my best gifts um, came to light in camp. And, you know, in camp I was a leader. I was captain of Color War. My team won. I had to create certain events. And, you know, <laughs> I was only 15, and I had 80 kids under me. And my competitive spirit, my creativity, um, my inspiration, my ability to bring out the best in the other campers, you know, really came to light. And, and oddly enough, I, I actually, my claim to fame is I won all around camper three years in a row. And that's pretty amazing for a kid, you know, whose father had just dropped it three years, you Abs know, prior. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is is this some an element that drove you into studying psychology? I mean, you have a, a Master of Arts in Industrial Psychology from Columbia. Um, you're a certified Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder Centered Coach and a certified Now What Facilitator. I mean, mm -hmm. you, yeah, this pedigree is very impressive, Nancy. Well, thanks. I, you know, I'd like to tell um, just a sort of a quick story about, you know, my belief in, and it's been my own journey. You know, anything that I coach, mm -hmm. I actually have lived. And I feel, you know, my belief is the best way to be a successful and effective coach 
is to also have the ability to be very empathic, um, compassionate, and to really be able to put yourself in, you know, the in your client's shoes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm going to be challenging my clients to get out of their comfort zone, surely that is something I have lived my entire life. Um, I do believe in creating silver linings out of every setback um, up to and including, you know, really serious crises in your life. So mm-hmm. um, I'm all about that. So anyway, I wanted to discuss today in terms of my own journey and how I got to, you know, what I do, the three culprits that I feel really block people from owning, you know, their own uniqueness. And again, I call the power of you, your own uniqueness. And, you know, again, in in the thousands of clients that I've coached over the years, I'm in helping them find, you know, their sweet spot. And, you know, this can go from uh, a very young millennial that I'm coaching that's just entering the work world out of college um, through, you know, individuals in their 30s and 40s that are really making their mark in the world and starting to make serious imprints in their career, um, you know, up to and including pre-retirees who are going to be questioning the meaning of life and, and, and the thought of becoming obsolete and, you know, what will they do with themselves, you know, should they ever retire and how will they be able to still be relevant? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the three culprits I've identified are, one, the famous imposter syndrome, Two, uh, a very narrowly skewed definition of intelligence. And three, um, the culprit of social comparison. Ah, yes. Yes. I get it. Do so, so those ring a bell? Yeah, well, tell, <laughs> t- <laughs> tell us more about this imposter syndrome. This really intrigues me. Okay. So um, I just, again, I'm going to tell my story in the hopes that this will, you know, trigger uh, something for someone else. But Absolutely. Um, in my teens, way into my early 30s, and of course I'm sure at other moments throughout my life, but basically from my early teens to my early 30s, I realized that I suffered from the imposter syndrome. And basically what that is, is it's a syndrome that leads you to believe that your successes in life are based on luck rather than your own skill mm-hmm. or achievement. Mm-hmm. And this syndrome can be triggered, by, as I said before, by a key defining moment in your life, your life story, or an accumulated series of moments. And, you know, it's interesting, Pamela, I didn't even realize this, I recently did some research, but an estimated 70% of people will experience this um, sort of imposter syndrome of feelings at some point in their lives. So it's really important to, you know, be on top of that, or at least aware of it. So what I want to focus, you know, the listener's intention on is, you know, what can you do to stop feeding this counterproductive syndrome mm-hmm. um, as opposed to why you may suffer from it? I mean, that's sort of a, a deeper conversation. But in my own personal story, um, you know, after my father's death, I mentioned that it was difficult for me, you know, to study or do my work. And I'd somehow pull out, you know, pretty good grades. But it was very clear to me that my friends were clearly getting, you know, straight A's while I wasn't. And, you know, We all live with these particular limiting beliefs, whether we realize it or not. And those beliefs create assumptions and then actually stop us, get in our tracks from taking certain actions. Mm -hmm. So I had this, you know, notion. And then fast forward to 11th grade, I finally had the real evidence to prove it because I sat for my one and only SAT exam. I don't even remember back in the day, you know, how I got there, how I took it, you know, today parents, as we know, there's been scandals (laughs) with the prepping and the tutoring (laughs) of helping you know, young individuals get, you know, very high test scores so that they could get into the very best of, you know, Ivy League colleges. And that, you know, has all come to a demise. But um, I decided at that moment that my friends, in fact, were smarter than me based on their higher SAT scores. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And, you know, this led to the assumption that, you know, I was not good enough. I was not smart enough. Another syndrome that many of us suffer from, mm-hmm. the not mm-hmm. enough syndrome. So um, what I decided to do um, was I spoke to my guidance counselor, the same guidance counselor that was, you know, uh, counseling my brother. And I said, you know what, I don't want to stay in school. I don't want to stay here. I'm sure I really wanted to run away from the high school. I said, you know, I don't want to graduate the traditional way. What can I do? And she said, you know, you could actually accelerate and skip 11th grade and um, start college early. So I doubled up on English and off I went. And this imposter syndrome, you know, plagued me for a while. And this was what was interesting. And it happens in many people's careers. You know, many people's careers happen by accident. Hmm. And some happen in a more calculated way, right? Right. So um, against my better judgment, I signed up to be a business major. Again, you know, the influence of parents or, or peers or society telling me, well, what will you do with a psychology major? You know, there's nothing you can do with that when you graduate, you know, be a business major. Well, lo and behold, I crashed in my sophomore year of college. You know, this wonderful girl who had all this perseverance and all this stamina, you know, and energy, I came to just a grinding halt and I God, I was devastated. I got a C in computer programming and a C in accounting, which I could not understand for the life of me. And that was that. I, I really had to work myself out of that hole. And so I decided to transfer to another college, um, George Washington University, my junior year. And the first thing I did was declare my major um, as psychology. And this leads to, I just want to talk about the second culprit, which is this narrow definition of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we just, you know, many people define intelligence based on these IQ tests and based on test scores. Correct. And that leaves so many individuals either crippled or believing, again, in this notion that they're not smart enough. And it is a very narrow definition. So in my junior year of college, uh, a wonderful professor of mine um, told me about Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. And I don't think this is really discussed often enough, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. you know, in the workplace and in schools. And the theory of, you know, um, multiple intelligence states that there are actually eight different forms of intelligence. Interpersonal, intrapersonal, yep, kinesthetic, linguistic, verbal, which you have a, you know, high um, capacity for, as I do. You're also very strong in interpersonal, intrapersonal skills. Then there's musical artistic, of course, right up your alley again, Mm -hmm, Pam. mm Mm-hmm naturalistic, mathematical, and visual-spatial. So everybody has their own, I believe, special form of intelligence. And it's, you know, the degree to which you exploit that intelligence, pursue it, you know, nurture it, and really claim it as your unique, you know, defining power, and then use that again as a force of good in the world. And not to underestimate these very gifts that come naturally, you know, to you. So I, I just can't speak strong enough about this. So... So it uh, strikes me, but yeah. you know, Nancy, that? it strikes me right there that so many of us are out, you know, at sea without a life jacket. I mean, some of mm-hmm. us don't have mentors to help us see these things. And this is exactly. where you really come into it, you know, as, as a life force, as an executive coach to help, help people find their way. Right. And also, you know, I really believe in paying it forward. So mm. I do mentor a lot of people in addition to coaching people. I mentor people like on the side. Um, just because I love it. And, you know, every everything in life is, I believe, is a, is a you know, um, really a, a circle of energy. So I learned something from, from my mishaps. You know, I create some silver lining from a setback. Then I have found many mentors in my life. I have always sought out individuals 
you know, that, um, you know, we're ahead of me. And I'll talk about that in social comparison. But, you know, I think it's really important once you get a handle on something to pay it forward, you know, and then you can go and mentor others because I had many mentors that, you know, helped me along the way. And and today I still, you know, work with new mentors who have something that I don't have, Mm -hmm, you know, that I can mm -hmm. continue to grow from. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. um, What happened was I, this once I got a handle on this intelligence, multiple intelligence theory, I, what led me to my career was to get my master's in industrial organizational psychology right out of college. Um, So I proved all those people wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I majored in psych and I did do something with it, which was to go to graduate school and this would form the early foundation for my career in human resource management, you know, talent development and, and coaching. And since then, you've been on Oprah Winfrey, you've been on CNBC, and now you're on center stage with Pamela Kuhn. We're thrilled. I know. <laughs> probably my, it'd probably be my most favorite interview of all the interviews oh, I've Oh, please. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know, I've got to get back to this Im- imposter thing. You know, so mm-hmm. many of us suffer from this from day one, and we don't recognize it. And I know from my standpoint, so many artists, you know, they do um, audition after audition. And sometimes they get the job. And the first thing they say is, oh, I was lucky, or I don't really deserve it. Many say they couldn't see through that I didn't ha- actually have the stuff. So I would imagine wow. that, that so mm-hmm. many of the executives that you work with, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? So some yeah. will feel that that they really were just lucky to get that bump up in in the job transition or the or the promotion, and this carries uh, issues into their work. Yeah, yeah, that's very well said, Pamela. And I was thinking about um, your music career as an example, and creative artists who are constantly faced with the potential rejection, you know, after an audition and not, you know, um, getting the role. Mm-hmm. and how damaging that can be to one's sense of their own unique power or style, you mm-hmm. know, as an actor. And it's very true, even in corporate America, and I'm going to talk about now the social comparison culprit. Um, I always tell my clients, you know, to compare it to despair, because we very often, unfortunately, define our success based on a comparison to other people that we hold out as maybe more powerful than us, more successful than us, Or like you said, you know, having the right stuff where we don't. And that is a killer. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is poison. And so one of my favorite sayings is, you know, to compare is to despair. And, you know, just very simply, um, in 1954, Leon Fessinger actually came up with um, the social comparison theory. And, you know, every day now we're being bombarded. With so much, you know, information on social media and, and millions of followers and likes and, you know, Instagram and, mm-hmm. you know, the list goes on and on and on. Right, and, right. you know, just like in the corporate world, um, which has everything to do with social media as well, um, even politics right, has taken advantage of, you know, social media. Um, it's, you know, we're being bar- bombarded with um, an influx of information, endless information that gives us this false measuring stick exactly. of whether or not we're successful. And to your point, I've worked with you know hundreds of executives. Um, maybe I was brought in to coach them because they were passed over for promotion. However, there, there still was recognition that this person had other good stuff that just needed to be developed and tapped into. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those executives might have left the company um, because they did feel passed over. And unfortunately, their talent was not developed or nurtured 
um, in a way that was useful for the organization. And unfortunately, a lot of times in corporations, it's not necessarily about your talent or what you know, um, but it's about who you know and, and how you, you know, sort of leverage your alliances and Correct. Correct. Um, the politics of the organization. So those individuals who are very smart at, you know, or, you know, adept at uh, interpersonal skills or intrapersonal skills or just being very competitive or knowing how to, you know, toot their horn to get ahead, mm-hmm. will get ahead despite the fact that others underneath them may actually be more capable or even, you know, more talented. Um, but these people figured out how to lead in a particular way that fit in with that culture. So this social comparison, you know, um, culprit happens every day uh, where people really need to be careful to define success on their own terms, Absolutely. even if it's within a corporation. And, yeah. and we don't want any wounded people walking around not fulfilling, you know, their own uniqueness, as you call it. Um, mm-hmm. Nancy, you, you've written much about seeking the truth. Um, I've got a wonderful quote from you here. Nothing will ever go away until it teaches us what we need to know. And I think you've taught us today so well, and I am so appreciative for this, for you. Thank you. And I just need to ask one quick question as we wrap up here. Is there one mm-hmm. word or phrase, either yours or attributed to another, which sums you up? I think it's that... Um, <laughs> I. Um, I'll give you 30 seconds. I think it's that quote that I sent you, which I actually have not memorized. I don't know if you had it, but it's, it's basically when you look at a thing dead in the eye, acknowledge that it exists, call it exactly what it is, and decide what role it will play in your life, then, my friend, you have taken the first step towards your freedom. I have found, you know, that as, I've, I, as I have dug deeper my whole life and I love it, um, and as I've helped my clients dig deeper, you know, to figure out what their gifts are and how to leverage them in the world, um, it really takes, you know, sometimes the peeling of an onion. That's right. Um, and you have. And there's often a lot of tears involved in that. And I don't care if you're a man who's not crying, you know, you could mm-hmm. still be suffering inside because that's a, you know, typically women cry, maybe men than more, sorry, women may cry more than men, but men could be suffering in silence just the same. So it's it's really about um, sort of looking at things head on. We got it. And tackling it and sort of feeling the fear and doing it anyway or seeing it anyway. Well, thank you, Nancy Friedberg from CareerLeverage.com. Everyone, I hope you're listening to the show and you will check her out, especially if you are facing a transition in your life. Nancy Friedberg, thank you so much for being my guest today on Center Stage. It has been a delight. And to, Thank you so much, Pam. I bet. hope that my story helped touch you know, some others and, and they'll find new ways to explore possibilities. Of course it has. And in the meantime, this is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.